Welcome to SLU Law Summation, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Most of us are lucky enough to only have positive interactions with police officers, but across the nation there are some cases of notorious police misconduct, and sometimes these officers are allowed to work in other jurisdictions. I'm Corey Dugas, and today I'm joined by Professor Emeritus Roger Goldman, who has spent the past 35 years studying the process of decertification for police officers, and who has recently worked to bring forth legislation to close these loopholes. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for being here. Why can you tell us to start this off why this is such an important issue? Well, especially since um, Ferguson um, and related occurrences in 2014, um, it's come to uh, not just academics uh, concern, but also the national concern that we do have a problem with some small number of police officers uh, committing misconduct in one place and then uh, continuing to do it in another. Mm-hmm. So you've been studying this much longer than the Ferguson has been a, a big issue in the national spotlight. So what got you interested in this aspect of law? Well, so I like to say my Ferguson uh, <laughs> took place also in St. Louis County in the, the late 70s, early 80s, where an officer was working for a, a fairly big department at the time, Maplewood Richmond Heights, uh, um, was involved in, a, in an assortment of uh, serious acts of misconduct. Just to give you an example, he would put a gun down a suspect's throat and say, suck wow. on it. He would play uh, Russian roulette with a, a, a suspect, uh, handcuff him, and then pull the trigger, um, and uh, uh, issues like that. In fact, a couple of the patrolmen, he was lieutenant, did uh, pull, not in his presence, play Russian roulette, and did kill a, a suspect who wow. was... Uh, um, mentally uh, challenged and uh, had been suspected of trying to cash a $40 uh, uh, cashier's check. So that's what first got me interested in, in in this issue. Okay. Well, so how does, obviously you got interested because of these big things and that's sort of what sparked this in people's eyes. How does this process of decertification work and what does it entail? So it's uh, the easiest way to think about it is how does a state Uh, handle other professions that deal with the public. Lawyers, doctors, even massage therapists, barbers, all of those trades, professions, and occupations uh, are licensed, Mm -hmm. which means there's going to be training, minimum selection standards. Think about background checks for lawyers before you can even become a lawyer, uh, and then an ability to revoke the license for misconduct. But that's not happened until fairly recently for, um, for police officers. We just assume it's up to the sheriff and the chief. But that's changed dramatically over the past uh, several years. Okay, so how is this different than getting fired if you're in a, a different kind of position? Okay, it's a great question because when you think of being fired, again, think of other occupations like being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So you're working at a law firm and uh, whatever reason they, they don't like your work, so you're fired. But that doesn't mean you're disbarred. Mm-hmm. That will be a separate proceeding done by the state rather than by uh, the, the hiring agencies. And it's the same thing for police. You can be fired for a police department. Uh, and then separately from that is if the firing was for a reason that was very, very serious, like the kinds of things I mentioned in Maypool Richmond Heights, that could then lead to license revocation. And that's just a more harsh look at what's going on? Um, well, it's not necessarily a harsh look, but what it does is instead of being fired from the job, you're prohibited from from serving in that job in that state. Okay. Just like if you were disbarred. Mm-hmm. 
So what kind of process does Missouri have for decertification? Well, I mentioned the case that got me interested in this 35 years ago. Uh, It turned out in that case, that officer who had been working for Maplewood Richmond Heights ended up being hired by another department, knowing what he had done at that prior department. But the chief there said, look, we could hire this guy. He hadn't lost his license because Missouri didn't license that. So because of that, several of us, including uh, the later become mayor and police chief Clarence Harmon, uh, Sheila Lumpy, who was a state rep, uh, and then John Ashcroft, who was the governor, signed a bill that in 1988 enacted um, a very strong uh, license revocation uh, law in Missouri. And since then, about 600 officers have lost their license in Missouri. Okay, so there are a number of people that have gone through this process and actually become decertified because of it? Absolutely. 600 in this state, 30,000 nationally. Wow. I mean, that's a big number, but that shows that there is a process in place and it is working in some instance. So what are some of the arguments against decertification? There are certainly detractors. Right. Uh, The detractors tend to be people. uh, I was just in Massachusetts talking uh, up the need. Massachusetts is one of the six states that doesn't have licensing, along with uh, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, California, Hawaii. Um, And the arguments there, because there were many uh, radio interviews and, and newspaper reports, came from chiefs, some chiefs, who said, well, we don't need this in Massachusetts because we would never hire an officer who had uh, bad conduct. Uh, Other people, particularly union representatives, again, said, all we need is good training. Uh, We don't need a process like that. In other words, the state should only be involved in the education side, like issuing the, giving the bar exam or training police officers, but should not be involved in the regulatory side. I think those arguments are wrong. We wouldn't say that for a host of other professions. And when you think about it, My view is that law enforcement folks ought to be the first people who ought to be stringently regulated because who else has the power to arrest, to search, and use deadly force? Absolutely. They, are, they do have a lot of power, and so that needs to be moderated somehow. Um, how, how can we move towards getting laws passed in the states that don't currently have them? Well, it's, it's pretty difficult uh, to do so. What's best is if you have an actual case. Uh, so back to that Maple Richmond Heights case, uh, this officer was uh, uh, hired in in uh, in this small town, Breckenridge Terrace. He came back to Maplewood, where he he uh, had once served as a, as a law enforcement officer. He was hired part time, and he uh, saw someone breaking into his car. And he said, "I'm a police officer." And the fellow started to run. He shot him in the back and killed him. And so he wouldn't have been able to do that had he not been hired at that second department. So you need the best way is to have actual cases which shows that indeed there is a problem of clearly unfit officers working from one department and going to another. But in the abstract, it's very hard because it would look like it looks like you're anti-police. The only way these laws have a chance is if it's pushed by the professionals themselves, chiefs of police, sheriffs, other people interested in good policing. Groups like um, you know, human rights groups and civil liberties groups can be in the background, but they cannot be the leaders. It has to come from the, its profession itself. It's a professionalizing mechanism. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few states, Massachusetts, New Jersey, California, Rhode Island, that don't have these kind of laws in place. Are, are professionals pushing those forward in any of those states? Well, um, there are some people doing it. Uh, as I say, I was just in Massachusetts. There is a resolve in Massachusetts that would set up a commission to, to come up with a statute. Hawaii is a state that doesn't have it. They're now uh, starting to do it. Uh, so again, I think inevitably every state will have this mechanism. But again, unfortunately, it takes an actual case to, for people to realize, whoa, how could we allow this to go 
uh, unmoderated. Mm -hmm. So how do the states communicate between each other? How can we prevent a decertified police officer in one state from moving to another and working there? It's a great question. There is a private group of, uh, of, of the heads of the various state uh, licensing agency called IADLEST. It's an association of the executive directors of these state agencies. They have already up a, uh, uh, something called the National Decertification Index. That lists about 20,000 officers on it. Uh, but six states, the ones that we mentioned earlier, of course, don't decertify, and they have over 25% of the uh, law enforcement officers in the country. So there's definitely a need to get those other six states on board. Ultimately, I think the federal government will probably have to get involved in this. They are involved in what's called the National Practitioner Data Bank for, for medical and, and healthcare professionals. The similar thing needs to be done for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Is there any regulation that's happening on a federal level? There's really no regulation uh, in the sense of licensing and decertification for individual uh, um, uh, federal agents who can work for a host of different agencies. I think that needs to be done. My guess is uh, that there are decertified state uh, and local officers who are now working for the federal uh, government. Um, and so what, what really needs to happen is a lot of empirical research to find mm -hmm. out, is there really a problem or is there just a few anecdotal stories? Okay. So can you tell us what some of these federal offices that would be impacted by the decertification would be? Well, yes. Any of these uh, federal agencies that have uh, power, for example, of uh, the Border Patrol, FBI, mm -hmm. uh, Drug Enforcement Administration, um, even TSA. Um, uh, so there's just a whole host of other Secret Service uh, agencies that do have law enforcement power. Mm -hmm. In fact, a good example of the mix of state uh, going to federal, some of you may remember the uh, Charles Grainer case. He was the uh, only officer court-martialed for um, abuse in Abu Ghraib. He was the one who piled the bodies, and he got 10 years court-martial. Well, prior to that, he had been a corrections officer in Pennsylvania, and yet somehow slipping through the cracks, going from, I mean, just imagine if he hadn't gone to Abu Ghraib, how might mm -hmm. things be different? So that's why it's very important to have much better coordination among state and federal law enforcement agencies. So for positions like corrections officers, parole officers, are they impacted in any way? Great question. 44 states do license and decertify law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. Only 21 states do the same for corrections officers. Um, and in fact, in some states that do both, majority, more there are more correction officer decertification then there are law enforcement. And I would say the same thing, parole and probation. Some states cover private security. Some states cover tribal uh, uh, police. So let's face it, there's a potential to move. Uh, it's kind of like a, a water seeking its own level. If you know law enforcement or criminal justice and, and you then get fired or uh, lose your job, you then uh, could move to a related area. And that's why I think the better statutes are the ones that are the broadest. Mm-hmm. So what are things that need to be happening next with the law to move forward with this? Well, for one thing, you asked earlier about uh, state laws. Um, I said six states don't do it, but several states that do license and decertify, it's very limited what they can do it for. That is, it's only for a criminal conviction of a felony or some misdemeanors. And what it really needed is, we wouldn't say that for a doctor or a lawyer, you can only lose your license if you've been convicted. No, it's the commission of the act that should trigger a decertification. After a fair hearing, um, we should treat police like we do, as I say, virtually every other profession.
So in those instances, would it be possible to get recertified if you were found not guilty of the crime? Yes. Again, think how we do this with a whole host of other professions. You can be disbarred as a lawyer, but then after a certain number of years, you can uh, seek to come back in depending on what you've done. That's how it works in other uh, in, in the states that do this as well. Decertification is just one option. You can be decertified. You can be suspended. You can be on probation. You can be given a warning. Uh, and of course, if you do it more than once, then it's likely you're going to have the more serious discipline. So again, it's exactly like every other profession and occupation regulated now by the states. For our listeners that maybe don't know as much about this topic, is there anything else that you think they should know to get sort of a well-rounded perspective on it? Well, I think what they should do is, um, especially in states that have weak or no laws, uh, they have an interest in making sure, uh, not just for their community, but other communities as well, that any one of us uh, could be stopped by one of these rogue officers. So uh, although there's a tendency to think, well, we've never had a problem with police, um, let's face it, just like anybody, if there's a bad doctor, could be operated on similarly here as well. Well, this topic has been fascinating. It is certainly very relevant in what is happening today in our society. Um, So I appreciate you joining us today, Roger. This has been an enlightening discussion. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law. 